Welcome to the Scotland's Choice podcast. Join us on the journey as we discuss the choices for the Scottish public as we prepare for the referendum. We'll talk about what we do differently to Westminster already with the limited powers we do have and what we could and would do differently with the full powers of independence. Why? Well, we want everyone to be informed, involved and hopefully inspired to look at the possibilities for Scotland. Because... As our country renews, we need to choose our own future before somebody else chooses it for us. I'm your host, Drew Hendry, and I'm also an MP at Westminster. In this episode, you can hear Anne Ballinger from the Scottish Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament and Brendan O'Hara MP as we discuss the very different attitudes to nuclear weapons between Scotland and Westminster and why independence would mean a safer, more prosperous and progressive future. Anne Ballinger is the treasurer for the Scottish Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament. She's a retired teacher and former trade union representative, and with Peace Education Scotland, she invited Hiroshima survivor Masashi Ayashima to Scotland to share his experiences. She's a self-described political animal, and due to the time she devotes to the campaign, she's earned the nickname of Crazy Grand to her grandchildren that fill the rest of her time. Brendan O'Hara MP has represented Argyll and Butte for the SNP since 2015, and his constituency includes Faslane and Coolport. He's a clean, keen collector of football shirts and worked in TV before being elected, and wrote, produced and directed SDV's Road to Referendum. Anne, let me start with you. What are your thoughts on nuclear weapons? I think nuclear weapons are a, an abomination, to be honest. Um, I, it, for me, it's a red line. I would never, ever vote for a political party that supported the retention of nuclear weapons. And why is that? Because they are immoral and illegal in any concept of it. I, I used to teach, and one of the subjects I taught was religious studies, um, the higher class and trying to explain to very intelligent sixth year pupils about the concept of mutually assured destruction had them rolling in the aisles they they immediately thought that the whole thing was hilarious and completely senseless um and it reinforced my view i suppose because as a teacher you're trying very hard to be fair and and not not project your point of view but to hear them coming back to me saying but that's just ridiculous how can anybody believe that's a sensible way to behave and um, reinforced my view that actually weapons of mass destruction are unacceptable i and, think they've been unacceptable since they were introduced and brendan from your perspective what's uh, what, what are your thoughts i mean very similar to Anne, you know that, that i i have I think I was a member of CND before I joined the SNP, and I've been a member of the SNP since I was 16. So my my, my, my roots go way, way back. And as a politician, you know, I think, you know, there is absolutely no military, economic or moral case to be made for, for nuclear weapons. And, you know, the, the idea of the, the United Kingdom's independent nuclear deterrent is, is is utterly nonsense, and I think we've got to get to the nub of it. And it's it's a political weapon. Trident is, I think, in many ways, it's it's like the UK itself. It's so backward looking, and it sees the world as it once was, and not the world that we currently live in. And I I think that when it comes to to this government, and well, 
and many, many UK governments. It's almost a, a post-imperial power desperately trying to trying to come to terms with a changing world and trying to find its place in that new world. And, and it's decided to, with this renewal of Trident and this increasing of, of the warheads, you know, it's embarking on a desperate search for a better yesterday. So what, what you, I think that what, what you're seeing is, you know, we are sacrificing everything on this military and political ego trip that has more to do with status and defence and disgracefully has been paid for on the backs of the poor. And what do you both see the, the difference in policy being between Scotland and the UK at Westminster in terms of this issue? You know, Brendan's covered a lot of ground there in terms of you know how useful it is, etc. And we'll come on to talk about that. But but where do you see the key difference between Scotland and Westminster on this? Um, I, in my opinion, Westminster used the, these weapons of mass destruction to retain their seat on the Security Council, the UN Security Council. Now that is their purpose, I think, and they they don't have at any time considered the impact that it has on Scotland. Or on, as Brenda says, the poor in our society. Mm. The amount of money that they spend on weapons of mass destruction that could build, for example, 50,000 affordable homes, Mm -hmm. 14 hospitals, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. They don't even consider that. They just see it as their, um, their way of, of retaining the power they've had in the past and their, their status seat on the Security Council. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, actually, because it's in Scotland, they don't really care about the, the lack of safety mm-hmm. or the, the potential mm-hmm. hazard should an accident occur. And Brendan? Yeah, I, I think the, 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 the difference is that what we have in Scotland, we have a, a, a consensus, a, almost a settled consensus, against nuclear weapons, whether it's Scottish Government, Scottish Parliament, the SNP, the Green Party, Scottish TUC, swathe of Scottish civic society, the Church of Scotland, the Roman Catholic Church of Scotland, many, many other... And that, that's, true of, that's true of opinion polls as well. I think there was an opinion poll showing nearly 60% of the Scottish public were against nuclear weapons. Yeah. And, and I think that voice of civic Scotland says, we do not want these here. And it has always been thus, and there is a, a very different mindset about the possession and the stationing of nuclear weapons in Scotland than there, than there seems to be elsewhere in the UK. Um, but I think Scotland really does almost speak with a, with one voice on this, saying that we do not want these weapons of mass destruction. And, and I say that as someone who, who lives in the Rosneath Peninsula, less than five miles from both Coolport and, uh, and Faslane. And, and I've mentioned Westminster a couple of times. Is this just the Tories that want to retain nuclear weapons? Sadly, no. Well, um, exactly. A point that um, in the past, when Labour were very anti-nuclear and determined to rid the world of nuclear weapons, that has long gone. I think they may still claim to be multilateral disarmament, but really, um, they see nuclear weapons in the same way as the Tories do as a retention of power. And they don't really understand the Scottish concept of the people being sovereign 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, I think in Scotland it's very clear that we, as the people of Scotland, are are sovereign. We determine what happens through our representatives. It's not dictated down to us. It's it's if you like dictated up the way, mm-hmm. and that is very different from the concept of government um, in the south. Sadly, but you you're just talking about Labour Party there. I think they're quoted as saying their support for. Trident is unshakable and non-negotiable, Brendan. Yeah, well, we've seen it before, and the problem the Labour Party have is that they have almost been dragged into. Well, I say dragged as if it was unwilling to go there. But this idea about the the, the, the power uh, of the of the United Kingdom and this the the place of the United Kingdom in the world, the Labour Party are thrilled to that and. So therefore, they have come to see it as a, a almost a virility symbol for the UK. And you know, I, I'm reminded of Tony Blair in his um, his memoirs when he was talking about Trident renewal. He said, "You know, the expense is huge. The utility is non-existent in terms of military use." But, and I quote, he said, "For us not to do it would be too big a downgrading of our status as a nation." And that's mm-hmm. all you need to know. That's that's what the the, the, the Labour Party's relationship with nuclear weapons is. They are still wrapped up in this imperialistic past that the UK has. And if the Labour Party are prepared to sacrifice, you know, the the you know, children and poverty as a price to pay for nuclear weapons, then you got to ask, what's the point of the Labour Party? So in a nutshell, there's no prospect of Westminster, whether it's a Tory government or a Labour government, getting rid of nuclear weapons at any time in Absolutely our life, who, life, lives or, or, or that of our, uh, our children, probably. Uh, you know, like I say, saying it's unshakable and the support is non-negotiable is pretty clear, isn't it? But we, I think we've agreed, um, well, I know we've agreed that these weapons are abhorrent, that they're the weapons of mass destruction are indiscriminate killers of uh, thousands and millions of people, and uh, you know, and that's it, you know a, a concept that's uh, hard to grasp at the best of time. But along with the moral issues, what is the cost, and and what do you, how do you think that money could be used elsewhere? Uh, in two thousand and nineteen, um, Scottish CND did a, a a series of events called Scotland Not Trident. And in that, we looked at housing, um, climate change, jobs, NHS, education, and transport. And how, if we weren't paying what we reckon is about, or the Scottish percentage is about six to ten million, billion, sorry, mm-hmm. towards the cost of Trident, then it, what we could do with that money. Mm-hmm. And the figures were, are absolutely terrifying. I mean, fifty thousand affordable homes, mm-hmm. um, twenty new hospitals, um, and on and on and on. These money is a huge amount, and it's dreadfully wasted, and it could completely transform. Indeed, and, and it's it, the, that those figures of Scotland's contribution are just a, a snapshot in time. That the total cost, life cost of this, Brendan, is. Uh, Eye-watering, isn't it? No, it's it's astronomical sums of money, and uh, the, the the problem we have when talking about the, the the money on Trident and Trident renewal is that 
there, there is no price too high. You know, there is there is not a cutoff that the UK government will suddenly say, actually, this is too expensive, and therefore budgets will always expand to fit these ever inflating and, and, and increasing costs. And what that means is, you know, that that will obviously come at the expense of uh, conventional capability, which will be cut and cut and cut and cut until your so-called last line of defence becomes your only line of defence. Mm-hmm. So on, on, a, on, a, on a military um, examination of it, it makes absolutely no sense well, at well, all. There's, there's two questions you've raised there um, by talking about that, Brendan. The first is, you know, is it any use against modern security threats? Um, and second, not. and secondly, you know, we know that the UK government is planning to spend even more money on it, taking the, the lifetime cost, I think, to something like £206 billion, pounds it's estimated yeah. to be. Um, you know, so if, if it's no, no use, you know, what, what can we be doing against the security threats instead? What kind of investments could we make there as well as all these other things that Anne was talking about, like investing in things we need, like, you know, housing and, uh, you know, and investing in eliminating poverty, etc. cetera. What, what other things could we do to protect ourselves against security threats? Can I come in on of that? Of course you can. Yeah. I think one of the, for me, one of the most important things we have to consider is where the threat comes from. And at the present moment in time, we are not being threatened by another big country or even another small country, which is what we are. Uh, we are any threat that exists comes from extremists, from various groups on the, the, the right or left or religious grouping. Um, and how, how do you use a weapon of mass destruction against an individual? or a small group in a compound in another country. I mean, it's impossible to do that. Um, with even a little of the money that we would save from not having Trident, we could build a decent defence force and we could spend money on things like cyber security, mm-hmm. which would yeah. protect the people of Scotland far better than they are being protected at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Anne's absolutely right. I mean, the, the the threats that nuclear weapons are designed to protect from have have moved on. You know, we are we are, we are now the threats facing the the UK or Scotland or any other country. You know, are terrorism, climate change is a massive <laughs> security threat, and, and cyber security, and you know the the mass movement of people. These are the real challenges that have to be addressed but cannot be addressed when you spend all of your uh, defence budget on weapons of mass destruction. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I read, was it, I read the other day there that by 2040, they reckon about 70% of the world will be urbanised mm-hmm. and they will be living yeah. in mega, mega cities all around the uh, South Asia, Africa, all of these areas. And... You know, Anne's absolutely right. You know, so th- th- that would be a sort of fermenting ground for discontent and anger and terrorism. Mm. And rather than addressing those issues, we are looking back to a world 30, 40 years ago and basing our defence posture on a, 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 a situation that existed 30, 40 years it, ago, it, it, rather than one that is going to face us 
in 10 years from now. And at the same time, the UK is cutting international aid and so forth. The the, the very mechanism designed to take the heat out of uh, situations and build friendships with uh, emerging nations as well. That's been uh, cut there. Let me ask you both about the... um, the, the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. Uh, do the plans to increase the number of warheads announced by Boris Johnson's government break international law? Briefly, yes. Yeah. Uh, they absolutely break international law. Yes. Uh, the, uh, the treaty has now been ratified. It is now illegal to have nuclear weapons. And to increase nuclear weapons, one now... It is simply the UK government ignoring or defying international law, which actually doesn't surprise me one little bit because they, they you know, they have history in this. It's a fairly jaw-dropping move, isn't it, Brendan, to to be increasing it's, warheads at this time? It's, it's, it beggars belief. It is basically Johnston and his cronies giving a shameful two fingers to the world community. It's a we will decide, you know. We, we, you know, we are we are above international law. We are outside international norms, and it almost borders on the UK becoming a rogue state. It's shameful and disgraceful. Well, it's, it's um, something something like thirty years of uh, no additional, uh, you know, nuclear uh, capability being brought in, but just being smashed by this, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, and but, but but what it does, it gives a a green light to any right-wing populist hard man to follow suit. Mm-hmm. You know, all it takes is, is someone, you know, a, a perceived in, to be in the mainstream to go rogue, and then they all follow. So that moral it's authority, something. that moral authority over Iran, over North Korea, oh. is just wiped away by this, isn't it? Utterly. Okay. Yeah, I think completely. moral authority has been wiped away a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I don't think the UK government has any moral authority. Mm-hmm. And I think their treatment of citizens, um, for example, in the Windrush scandal, the, their treatment of uh, refugees and asylum seekers indicates that any moral authority they might have had in the past, which would be questionable, has completely gone. Um, and and this, this move simply reignites the arms race. Mm-hmm. That, you know, you have to go as far back as Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan thought it was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, we all remember that. Well, those of us that are old enough remember the salt talks and, uh, you, yes. yeah, yeah. You know, if yeah. somebody as right wing as Ronald Reagan thought it was a bad idea, yeah. why is our government doing it now? Well, you know, this, uh, this and podcast. And it does show you how that, yeah. that centre of gravity has, has shifted where we're actually talking in terms of Ronald Reagan you know, on the side of the good guys. You know, how, how far have things... Yes, well, yeah, we, we all recall those spitting image um, programmes where he, he was the villain, and now, you know, like you say, it's it's a completely different approach, being a new <laughs> level that uh, that Westminster's gone to uh, with this. And you were talking about the, you know, the fact about moral authority. This podcast series is about Scotland's choices and about the difference uh, in policy. And in a moment, I want to talk about how an independent Scotland could make a different choice of our national security. But before that, just before I get to that, there's some real practical issues above the expense, above the uh, 
um, you know, the, the, the issue of whether or not we should have these. And of course, the overriding thing is the fact that they're abhorrent, abhorrent in the first place. But there's also a pressing safety issue, isn't there, Brendan? Yeah, very much so. And, and it's all tied into this, the, the, the increasing of the, of the warheads. And quite unbelievably, as they're increasing the number of warheads, they're actually cutting safety at, uh, at Coolport and at, at Faslane. The, the, um, the, the, the fire service, I'm working closely with Unite at the moment, uh, around this issue to, to cut to the fire service. And it's simply better. I, I think it's worth. I think it's worth repeating. I think it's worth repeating, Brendan. So can you say that again, just so everybody can understand that. At a time that they're increasing the number of warheads, they put these plans in place. They're cutting the safety provision at the base. At, at, at the fire service, yeah, the, the, it's absolutely incredible. And our, our colleague Deirdre Brock uh, did a very interesting series of questions. Um, and she sort of wheedled out that there have been an increase in safety incidents at the base. So there mm. are increasing incidents. They are increasing the warheads, and yet they are cutting the fire service. It is, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible what they're doing. Mm. Uh, and so as I say, I'm working closely with Unite at the moment. And we are fighting this every step of the way. Well, th th this whole subject about investing in new nuclear weapons is bizarre to, uh, to us, as we've been discussing, and for all the reasons that we've gone through at the moment. But you know, it kind of goes to a new level of uh, you know insanity when uh, when we hear that happening in the local area as well. You know, when at the time where they're increasing these. But let, let's get back to the the big question uh, that to finish our discussion today. How, how could an independent Scotland make a different choice over national security? What could we do differently? Uh, can I start off by sort of talking about how we would get rid of nuclear weapons? Of course, yeah. Very simple. Uh, John Ainsley, who was <coughs> our much-loved and valued coordinator at Scottish CND until his death in 2017, wrote a wonderful paper on disarming Trident. And he... Uh, at the time, there was a lot of discussion about it would take 10 or 15 or 20 years to get rid of Trident. And the Scottish government, if there was an independent Scotland, the Scottish government should come to some sort of an arrangement with the UK to keep Trident. And his response to that was really quite simple. All they have to do is remove the warheads. They could remove them, put them in one of these trucks and take them back down to England. And then Trident is disarmed. And after that, they could take as long as they want to take the rest of their equipment away. Indeed. Uh, mm. Because it would be, it, everything at, at Faslane would then be of no use to them. Uh, and Brendan, what, what do you think of that? I mean, I think in, in terms of, of, of what Scotland can be as an independent, I think what the first thing we can be is a good neighbour and accept our responsibilities to ourselves and our allies and our friends. Because where we are, we cannot alter our geopolitical place in the world that we are strategically hugely important and you know, that Greenland, Iceland Scotland gap is becoming increasingly strategically important so whether we like it or not we are strategically important and that's why you know we've always said that in saying no to Trident we are not saying no to Faslane I mean, far from it we have never and will never say Faslane is closing 
There's Faslane is a fantastic facility and it can be whatever an independent Scottish government wants it to be because you have immediate and open access out into the North Atlantic. And so it's a facility which an independent Scotland, Scottish Defence Force could use and it would be open to our allies and friends to use as well. So getting rid of nuclear weapons, we've got to break this link, this fallacy between that Faslane is purely dependent on nuclear weapons. It absolutely is not. Faslane can be whatever a Scottish government wants it to be. And I think that, that Faslane has a bright non-nuclear future as a, a conventional naval base. And I think what we can say for certain is that you know the mood, and I think you ran through all the different parties involved in this, as well as the, the you know, I mentioned the poll from the public, the mood in Scotland is that it certainly wouldn't house nuclear weapons. Can I absolutely? Can I thank you both very much indeed for joining me on this podcast today. Um, thank you to you, Anne, and thank you to you, Brendan. Um, it's been a hugely enjoyable chat, and I'm sure it'll be very helpful to those people that are listening. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, there we have it. Nuclear weapons are abhorrent and criminal to use, but they're also dangerous to store and service. Accidents and incidents at the base on the Clyde are, as has been exposed, commonplace. There's no prospect of Westminster getting rid of them, as Labour are just as committed as the Tories. We could choose our own future without weapons of mass destruction in Scotland. We could save billions of pounds to spend elsewhere on things we'd really need, such as hospitals, schools, housing, nurses, teachers, and much more, but only with independence. My thanks once again to Anne Ballinger, info at bandthebomb.org, and Brendan O'Hara MP. More info at brendanoharamp.scot. If you can share this podcast, it can help others with their decision on Scotland's future. Thanks for listening, and don't forget you can find new and previous episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot. I'm Drew Hendry, and I hope you'll join me next time on Scotland's Choice. <laughs>